It's okay. I don't think that everybody should be interested in my ministry. What I do think that everybody should be interested in what I want to share with you. That this is something that is on the heart of the Lord, and I think all of us, each and every one of us, needs to be interested in that. Uh, well, I don't know how relevant that is, but um, uh, you all know that I'm Mariana. I was born in, uh, in Russia, in St. Petersburg, Russia. I made Aliyah, which is a word used for the Jewish people going back to the land of Israel, uh, 16 years ago. And I returned uh, to Israel for the past uh, eight years. I had a burden on my heart for the, uh, for the poor, but in general, but specifically for the widows and orphans. Uh, for the past four months, I've been uh, leading a ministry called Streams in the Desert that works with widows and orphans. Um, we ha I have a particular vision to who are those widows and orphans. And I wanted to tell you that uh, according to the scripture that tells us very, very specifically that we have to care for them, uh, widow is not a woman whose husband is dead. Uh, in Russian language it is, that's what the word means, in English it is, like I looked for definition. It is a woman whose husband had died. Uh, in Hebrew, this word almana means a woman who had a covering but doesn't have it anymore. Uh, how do I know that? Uh, we have uh, chapter 3 of the prophet Jeremiah that uh, gives us this um, very passionate a recollection of the story of uh, between God and Israel. And we hear God talking through the prophet, and he says, you know, you were just a little girl, you were on the side, uh, on the, side of the road in the blood, I picked you up, I brought you in, uh, you, I married you, you're my wife, then the disobedience of Israel, then I'm, I'm leaving you, you're on, you are an almanah. You can read this, this verse, there's like many parallels there to that. Uh, God, so God is calling Israel an almana, a widow. She, we know the husband of Israel is not dead. More than that, we know he's planning to come back. It's only for a short, short season. He's abandoning her. But uh, he gives her that name, almana. We can read in the Second Samuel the, the story of King David and his wives. When King David comes back and he finds out that his son slept with his wife, he sends them away and he puts them in the house of the widows, Beit Almanot. Uh, he is not dead. More than that, he provides for them. So he takes care of, their, of, of them. They have roofs over their heads. They have something to eat. But he deprives them of intimacy and he deprives them of his covering. They are widows. They are Almanot. Uh, in uh, there are other passages that also has to do with the fact that Israel is a widow. Uh, through those passages, we can very clearly see that in biblical Hebrew, when the commandments were given to us to take care of the widows and orphans, uh, what is meant is any woman who had a covering but lost it. So people can widow to women can widow to death. They can widow to divorce, 
They can widow to their own inability to get along with another person or stupidity for whatever reason. But if they had a covering and they lost it, they're widows. There is uh, one of the banner verses for our ministry that we love very much is the verse from Psalm 68 where God, where the psalmist talks about God's character and he said, the father to the fatherless, defender of the widow, is God in his holy habitat. Uh, the word defender in that, in that uh, verse is uh, dayan, uh, coming from the root, the Hebrew root, dan, which is judgment. Uh, dayan, this particular word, is also used for a judge. I usually, when I quote this verse, I say the defender of, the father of the fatherless, the judge of the widow, because I think there is a very important definition. It's not my business why they widowed. We have that image in our head, I had it in my own heart, that there are respectable widows whose husbands died. And now those single moms who got divorced or uh, lost their partner for whatever reason, it's their fault. Uh, why should I go out of my way to take care of them if that's their fault? Here comes a very important point. The judge of the widow is God Almighty in his holy habitation, not me. Also, not, not pastors in the churches, not leaders of ministries. Amen. It's God. So there is a very clear instruction what is our job and what is not our job. Our job is to take care of them. Not our job is decide whether she's right or wrong. Uh, in, when I'm talking when I'm talking to single moms, and I think that it's also important information for all all of us to know. I think like I always like when I when I have an idea in my head and some kind of vision. I I like to complete the thought to its logical. Ending, you know, like if I would feel it, think it all the way to the end. What is the final result? Because I think uh, the teaching in our communities is filled with unfinished thoughts. Uh, okay, God tells us take care of them. God tells us that He personally takes interest in their life. Why? Like, what? What is so important about them? And when I talk to our single moms, I say, you are God's secret weapon. How is, is that? The revelation of that we've got from um, a very interesting verse in Exodus 22-24. There are actually many verses like that in the Old Testament, but this verse is very special. Uh, it talks about, it's, uh, talks about how Israel should relate to the widow, the orphan, and the stranger in the land. And it says, don't, don't hurt them. Be very careful. Don't hurt them. Treat them justly. Because if you want, they will cry out to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. If that works in the negative, that should also work in the positive. I believe that the power of intercession that lays on in the hand of widow is mighty. The prayers of widows and orphans, God certainly hears. They, they cry to him, and he certainly hears them. Unfortunately, what happens in most any country 
is uh, single moms, widows, go out into the world. They treat, they're treated unjustly. They come back home and they cry out to God. And they go, you know, this institution is like this and like this. This government is like this and like this. My landlord is like this and like this. And they cry out to God. And what God says, I hear them and I bring justice. I will judge. With Israel, it's a very specific judgment. He says, what will happen to you if you will not treat widows and orphans justly is war. You're going to have war on your borders, and your wives are going to be widows. Your children will be orphans. Well, I'm sidetracking a little bit here. Uh, when you come into a house of any person who has, a Christian person who has a revelation of Israel in their heart, the one thing that you almost always see is a little, in any kind of artistic form, this verse, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's, a, it's one of the first understandings that people get from the Bible, okay, we'll pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's received almost in a sort of a mantra kind of way. We're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, before we're done. Uh, the, the verse reads, Shalom, Shalom, Yerushalayim, which actually says, ask for, for the peace of Jerusalem. This particular expression, Shalom, Shalom, ask for the peace, is used in the Bible three times. Two times it's translated as pray for something. And one time, it's, it's, uh, it's the story of, uh, uh, oops, I, I, again, again I'm going to confuse him. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little dyslexic, so sometimes I have confusion in my head. Isaac and, uh, uh, no, Jacob who is the brother of Esau? Jacob. Jacob. Jacob is the brother of Esau. So, Jacob sends his servants uh, to Esau, and he says, Shalom, shalom, ask how my brother is doing. In the modern Hebrew, when you want to ask someone, how are you, you say, ma shlomcha, or ma shlomer, how is your peace? It's like, how are you doing? Uh, and I think this is a very important distinction. I would actually encourage you to consider before the Lord that very maybe, those ver this verse, ask for the peace of Jerusalem, actually means see how Jerusalem is doing. Because later it says, you know, may, may, may prosper and all kinds of blessings are going to Jerusalem. But it starts with you taking an interest in Jerusalem. It's not a mantra. It's not something that you can pray and forget about it. It's taking an interest and checking what's going on there. Why? Because God is interested. God is interested how we're doing. You're praying people. So if you were to ask me, Mariana, how is Israel doing? How's Jerusalem doing? I will have to tell you honestly that we're doing very badly. We're doing poorly. We are abusing our widows and orphans. We're deporting our refugees. The widow in Israel won't get enough money from the state that she can eat. If we were not, if like organizations like my organization and other organizations were not helping them buy food, their children would starve. 
because we're very, very interested in securing our borders. So I, if you are people who pray for Israel and who pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I want to encourage you to pray for justice to rise in Israel. For us to have a prime minister who will be crazy enough to put social needs above security needs. We need it for our security because then God Almighty will fight for us. But you need it for your security too. The chances that Mexico is going to attack you anytime soon are very slim. But I think all of us need it for our prosperity and security. We need governments who will take social needs as a priority. And sometimes it sounds crazy. And I know that this thought is not always very popular with Christians in America. But social needs in the Bible are very, very important. They're paramount. That we take care of widows and orphans. And when our governments don't do that, we believers should stand, stand in the gap. And if our government is not taking care of our orphans, we do. And then I can pray to God and I can say, Lord, look at us. We take the interest above our interest. We take care of them as a remnant. And I can put that in front of him as my intercession. Well, it says in Deuteronomy 10 that he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves foreigners, giving them food and clothing. I don't want to stand against God under no circumstances would I like to be the one against him. I want to be with him giving food to the widow and the orphan and loving foreigner in the land, which is a difficult job. I know, I know it's a difficult thing in America. It's a difficult thing in Israel, too. We have refugees from Africa in a number that is impossible for Israel to absorb. But I think that when things are impossible, they are God things. And I think even if it's impossible, they shouldn't be deported. But that is not something that I, we have control over. However, I'm I always encourage our widows and our orphans to pray about that. And instead of complaining and causing, calling judgment on their own land that would automatically put them in a very difficult place, I encourage them to learn to forgive and cry out for mercy. Yes. Their crying out for mercy is a powerful, powerful tool. Uh, often when I travel, uh, especially in Europe, people ask me about the opposition that we have in Israel uh, from the ultra-Orthodox community against the Jews who believe in Jesus. And there is an opposition, and sometimes it turns into perse persecution. Uh, it's not a governmental persecution, but they can make your life quite uncomfortable. And people ask me if I have problems with them. And I tell them quite honestly uh, that I don't think 
I don't think it's possible because I have widows and orphans praying for them, for me. So if they want to cause problems, they can try. But I feel it, I physically feel it as a shield about me. The power of those, of those prayers is probably the highest power there is in intercession. The, the uh, Proverbs 1525 uh, says also has a very interesting line. It says that God establishes the boundary of the widow. Uh, that also has to do with intercession. We can take this verse physically and we can say, well, if you will surrender to God, if you will allow him to be your husband and the father of your children, your household will be established. But we can also take it outside of her, her household. We can say, okay, if you will take your church as your responsibility, God will establish that boundary. If you will start praying, praying for your city, your country, God will establish your boundary. I have not seen it yet happening because, again, uh, single mothers, widows, are very, very overburdened. But I believe there is power in it. And uh, I think that this is one of the ways in which we can pray for them, for the widows and orphans in your area, for them to rise up in intercession, for them to be released to claim their boundaries. And God promises to establish them. Uh, and the last thing that I wanted to share with you is um, from Isaiah 61. We all know those verses. I just, uh, I want to read actually some, some to you, but again, kind of a uh, little discount on uh, being not a native speaker and dyslexic, so it might not be, may not be the most beautiful reading you've ever heard. Um, Isaiah 61, <coughs> the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall rise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities Desolations of many generations. We all know those, those words. We sing them in, in, in churches and we know them. Not so long ago, I read it again in my usual reading and I was overwhelmed with understanding of what exactly the Lord is talking about. 
It's the, we're talking about here of the messianic mandate. Yeshua is talking about himself, and he says, this is what I'm called to do. Some of this mandate is on us, his body on us. He says, this is what I'm called to do. I'm called to go to those who are brokenhearted, those who have no hope, those who are imprisoned, those who are the least of the least, that I'm called to go to them and heal them and restore them and encourage them and build them up so that they will rebuild the ancient ruins and the desolations of many generations so that they will be glory to God. Those people will be called plantation of righteousness. Those who now are sitting in the ashes, the single moms with, who can't even lift their heads up, who feel so overburdened that they can barely make it from day to day, poor, homeless, refugees, these people, that's the messianic mandate, to lift them up so that they will restore the desolations of generations, the brokenness that was moved from generation to generation, they, so that they will rebuild. And I find this message really powerful, and that's like what sometimes the, practic the practical life in my ministry is very difficult, daily life. It's, there is a heavy burden that it needs to be shared with those women, and it's, it, gets, it makes you really weary. And when I begin to look down, I feel this moving in my heart, you know, this great sense of purpose. And I'm also beginning to see it in my ministry, and I think you can see it where you are. I'm beginning to see those women rising up. It takes time. We want all want things to happen fast, but sometimes it takes a lot of time. And sometimes it's, it's faster. But you see them rising up, and they start with the desolation of their own families, and they start rebuilding their own generational desolation, and then they start looking outside. And I believe that God will establish their boundaries. And I think it's really, really worthwhile for us, in whatever capacity the Lord would call us to do, as intercessors or as mercy people or social advocacy, in whatever capacity the Lord will release us to touch the lives of the poor. I think it's really, really worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And I think it blesses the heart of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I think all that is part of the preparation for his mm -hmm. soon return. Mm -hmm. It's it's us calling the poor to his banqueting table mm -hmm. that is already set, going out and making sure that they are invited. Thank you.